Welcome to Cal St. G Academy, the educational podcast of the Parish of Calvary St. George's. These podcasts are intended to inform and deepen your faith so that you can share your faith thoughtfully with the world around you. For more information about the parish, go to calvarystgeorges.org. And now, break out your moleskin prayer journal, and let's get started. The Year of the Bible is a series of Cal St. G Academy. Each episode will cover a new book of the Bible in a concise, in-depth, and ultimately edifying way. These lectures are recorded live each week at Calvary Church in New York City. Nerves aside, I'm excited to be with you as, yeah, with you as we continue through the year of the Bible. Um, I do have a confession before I begin. I know in the video announcements I said that I would be doing Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. But I took some liberties, and I'm going to focus in on Galatians today because um, our clergy have been going through Philippians with us from the pulpit, um, and so we all get there. So let's go. Um, what if I told you that Paul's epistle to the Galatians is the book of the gospel, uh, par excellence? Would you believe me? Perhaps you would argue that the book of Romans is a more extensive exposition of the gospel. You would be right. However, I would argue that no other book in the Bible is as conscious as the role of the gospel in the life and ministry of the Christian than Galatians. The gospel, the message that we are more wicked than we could possibly fathom, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we could ever hope, creates what pastor and theologian Tim Keller describes as a radical new dynamic for personal growth, obedience, and love. This talk will focus in on three main issues presented in the book of Galatians, issues that are still being wrestled with in the church today. The first is one of authority. How do we know what and whom to believe or disbelieve? The second is a question of salvation. How do we get right with God, receiving the forgiveness for our sins and being restored to his favor and fellowship? And lastly, we will look at the question of holiness. How can we control the sinful desires of our fallen nature and live a life of righteousness and love? Don't worry, I won't be so cruel as to just jump into those questions without first providing some background. Ancient Galatia was originally a Celtic region in northern Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey. At the time that the Apostle Paul wrote his letter, the region was a client kingdom of Rome and included a combination of Hellenistic, Celtic, and Roman ethnic groups. Through their teaching and preaching, Paul and Barnabas founded the Galatian churches on their first missionary journey. As we know from the Acts of the Apostles, Paul was a church-planted missionary. After he planted a church, he left the region and continued to supervise his new congregations through his letters. The book of Galatians is one such letter, and Paul writes it from a place of passion and frustration. Fueled by learning that church leaders were perverting the gospel and spreading their dangerous and false ideas throughout the region. So, how did we get there? Christianity began as a Jewish messianic movement in Jerusalem. As its message was one for all humanity, it quickly spread beyond the confines of Israel. By the time Paul and Barnabas found themselves in Galatia, there were as many non-Jews as Jewish people in what the Episcopal Church would describe today as the Jesus movement the ongoing community of people who center their lives on Jesus and following him into a loving, liberating, and life-giving relationship with God, each other, and creation. 
Soon after Paul and Barnabas left the churches in Galatia, other teachers arrived, Jewish Christian teachers from Jerusalem who had come to the faith before the Gentiles in Galatia. These teachers, who claimed the Jerusalem church had given them their authority, began spreading the idea that in order to enter into a covenant with God, similar to the one that their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had entered into on their behalf, the Galatians would have to follow the laws of the Torah, part of that biblical covenant, just like they did. Specifically, they believed that without following these Mosaic laws, the non-Jewish Christians in Galatia would not be granted eternal salvation. This is a betrayal of the gospel. As Paul writes in chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. There is no other one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, tell him to be accused. As we have said before, so I, nice, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to your gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accused. This brings me to the first issue I raised at the beginning of the talk, the question of authority. How do we know what and whom to believe or disbelieve? The Galatians were in a bit of a pickle. There were two sets of teachers, each claiming to bring God's truth, but contradicting one another. Both teachers presented intelligent, plausible, and dogmatic ideas, and so who were they to believe? As John Stott points out in his book, The Message of Galatians, we must see clearly what Paul does in this situation. He asserts his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He expects the Galatians to receive his gospel, not because of it, but because of him. Not because of his, its superior truth, but because of his superior authority. An authority which, unlike the one the Jewish Christians from Jerusalem claimed, was not ecclesiastical, but rather divine. Paul insists that both his mission and his message come directly from Jesus Christ. We see this argument in the first two chapters of the book, when Paul speaks about his conversion and Christ's authorization. This is what Paul writes in the opening of Galatians. Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. Before I move on, let's chat for a moment about the Apostle Paul's right to speak. Um, an apostle is a man who has been sent with immediate divine authority. It comes from the Greek word apostolos, which means to be sent. Paul, using the phrase, not from men, nor through man, speaks to the uniqueness of the first apostles and what makes them different from the clergy at Calvary St. George's, for example. Those who are called to ministry by the Holy Spirit today are not from men, either. The ultimate cause of their ministry is Jesus' call, and the ultimate authority for their ministry is Jesus' word in the Bible. Even with this authority, however, they are still appointed by man. That means that, through, that though they will ultimately receive their call from God, they are called through the intermediaries of other human ministers. I know I keep referring to the Acts of the Apostles, but it's only because it's such an important book for framing the early church. In chapter 9 of Acts, Paul speaks about how he was commissioned and taught directly by Jesus himself. I mentioned that a lot of the issues at the heart of the book of Galatians are ones that we are still wrestling with today. 
Um, I think we are lucky here at Calvary St. George's to be in Reverend Jacob and Ben's flock. But there are false teachers out there putting Christians in binds similar to those experienced in Galatia. How do we decide who to follow? Simple. We must test them by the teaching of the apostles of Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in chapter 6, verse 16, peace and mercy will be on the church when it walks by this rule. Friends, this is the only kind of apostolic succession we can accept. We must not be loyal to people who claim to be ordained by God, but rather to the apostolic doctrine of the New Testament. The teaching of the apostles, which is permanently preserved in the New Testament, exists to regulate the beliefs and practices of the church for every generation. Christ commissioned the apostolic authors of the New Testament, as Paul mentions in the book of Acts, not the church. And those of us in the Anakin communion say to the authority of the apostles, the church must ever bow. The only church union schemes which can be pleasing to God and beneficial to the church are those which first distinguish between apostolic traditions and ecclesiastical traditions and subject the latter to the former. Let's talk about the second uh, question presented at the beginning of this talk. How can sinners be justified or accepted in the sight of God? That is, how can a holy God forgive sinful men, reconcile them to himself, and restore them to his favor and fellowship? What if I told you it was simple? Salvation is only possible through the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Paul wants the people in Galatia to know this. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul describes his preaching ministry as placing Christ crucified before men's eyes. He goes on to say that his personal philosophy is glorying in the cross alone. As Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We have also believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith, not by works of law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Well then, what must we do to be saved? In some ways, nothing, and that's the good news. Jesus Christ did the work with his curse-bearing death. Our only role in our salvation is to believe in Jesus and to trust him fully and without reserve. It's at this point that God will personally apply to us the benefits of Christ's death. The sole function of faith is to unite us to Christ and in whom we receive justification, reconciliation, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul's conviction is that no one can be justified by observing the demands of the Torah as the Jewish Christians suggested but only by faith in Jesus. Jesus Christ is enough, and circumcision and ceremonial law observance need not be added to it. This is a perversion of the gospel, and it suggests that we can contribute to the works, we can contribute our works to gaining salvation, which puts the question, which puts into question the adequacy of Christ's work. If it is true that his death bore our sins and curse, then the cross is a sufficient sacrifice for sin, and nothing needs to be added to it. And so the church becomes, as Paul writes, the household of faith. Faith is a chief mark of God's children. We are a family of believers, and faith is the factor that unites us with God's people across the world. How is this relevant today? Firstly, it connects us with God's people of the past. Faith alone is what binds the Old and New Testaments together and makes the Bible one unified story of God's grace. Why? If we believe we are the sons of Abraham, a man who was justified by faith, then, Christ, then through Christ we receive Abraham's blessing. 
Secondly, it unites us with God's people in the present. I'm going to read from chapter 3, verses 26 and 28. For in Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. For you are all in Jesus Christ. The external distinctions we like to give ourselves are rendered void in the face of the gospel. I want to quickly name that it wasn't just the Jewish Christians who wanted to um, deny the community to the non-Jewish Christians um, who were confused by the conflicting messages that were taught by Paul and the teachers from Jerusalem. In the second chapter of Galatians, Paul reprimands Peter for tolerating teaching that was inconsistent with the message of salvation in Christ alone. Um, This is what Paul says. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Faith abolishes these distinctions. Hallelujah. (laughs) We have no right to deny fellowship at the Lord's table to any uh, Christians who are in Christ by faith alone on the basis that they lack Episcopal confirmation. Christ has made us all equal, and there's no room for any forms of discrimination or the structures and systems that are used to discriminate. The church is the household of faith, and it is the historic faith of Christ and him crucified which levels and unifies us. Lastly, let's take a look at the question of holiness. How is it possible to become holy? Christians often experience an inner conflict between the flesh and the spirit, But those who belong to Christ, Paul says, have crucified the flesh by totally rejecting its evil passions and desires. This is a critical part of our repentance, and although it took place at our baptism and confirmation, we need to remember and renew it daily. It's for this reason that Paul uses the image of a field in chapter 6, which is something that requires cultivation. When a person trusts in Jesus and lives with dependence on the Spirit, his life becomes his, and produces what Paul calls the fruits of the Spirit. If we as Christ people seek to be led by the Spirit, to follow in his steps and sow in his field by disciplined habits of thinking and living, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, will begin to appear and ripen in our lives. Friends, if we are to live by the Spirit, we need to prune off our old habits and cultivate new ones. This is the Christian way of holiness. The final verse of this epistle is stern, um, but beautiful. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. To the Israel of God, from now on, let me cause from now on let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us, be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The Christian life is lived by the grace of Christ, and this grace, which is fully unmerited and deserved, is expressed throughout this epistle and through the questions I pose at the beginning of this talk. So, let's review some of those um, before I close. The answer to the question, um, the one of authority, is Jesus Christ through his apostles. 
Jesus appointed Paul to teach in his name so that what Jesus began to do and teach during his life, um, and this is another callback to the book of Acts, would continue through his apostles. Think about what we heard in the gospel according to Luke chapter 10, verse 16. He who hears you hears me, and he who rejects you rejects me. The answer to the question of salvation is Jesus Christ through the cross. Jesus came to the world to teach and reveal, but also to save and redeem. On the cross, Jesus bore the sins of the world. If we are in Christ, crucified, united to him by faith, uh, all the blessings of the gospel, justification, adoption, and the gift of the Spirit become our personal possessions. Finally, to answer the question of holiness, the answer is Jesus Christ through his Spirit. You could think that Christ had done enough by dying and ascending, but he topped it all off by sending the Holy Spirit to replace him. As the Gospel according to Matthew uh, chapter 10, verse 40 states, the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ who dwells in every believer. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ who dwells in every believer. And one of the greatest works of the Holy Spirit is to conform us in the image of Christ. From Christ in us, as the Apostle Paul writes in his letter, and to bring forth our lives, the fruit of his Christ's likeness. This, brothers and sisters, is the message of Paul's epistle to the Galatians. We have Christ through his apostles um, to teach us, Christ through his cross to save us, and Christ through his spirit to sanctify us. This is the message not only of the book of Galatians, but Christianity itself. And it's all summarized by Paul in the final words of the epistle. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, his grace through his apostles, his cross and his spirit, be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Cal Sanchi Academy. All of these podcasts are recorded at live events and lectures hosted by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. Want to hear more? Stop by the church sometime and attend one of these events live. Or swing by one of our many services where we seek to rightly divide the word of truth week by week with sermons that always point to where we end and God begins. Find out more about all of our events and offerings by visiting calvarystgeorges.org. And if these free podcasts have meant something to you and you feel led to support our ministry, head on over to calvarystgeorges.org slash giving and make a donation today. Thanks again, and we hope to see you soon.